Hello, I'm Pastor Marshall Oaks, and I'm the lead pastor at Red Hills Church in Tallahassee, Florida. And you're about to listen to a message from our Sunday morning gathering. If you enjoy what you hear, please leave us some feedback on iTunes. And if you really like what God is doing at our church, consider supporting the ministry work at redhillschurch.com give. Thanks, and now for some Bible teaching. Today, we're going to finish our study on Advent. Now, the Advent message has been the first two chapters of Luke, as I said the last couple weeks. And our goal for this study was to just walk as slow as we could through the first couple chapters of Luke. And the reason why we did this was because I wanted us to start becoming more familiar with the themes that are present in these specific seasons. So the season I'm referring to is Advent. Advent is a Latin word that essentially means arrival or coming. It is a season where we celebrate the first arrival of Jesus and also prepare for the second arrival of Jesus because he is coming again. And as we read through the first couple chapters of Luke, there are these themes that come to the surface in the first advent. These themes are present in the first advent and they should also be present in the second advent. That's the whole point of this series, to look at what was true at the first advent so that we become more aware of what should be true at the second advent. The the themes that we've come up with so far as we've read through Luke's writings are that one of the first themes is this sense that things are um, unexpected. The people who should have been ready for his first arrival, they weren't. And the people who you would not have even spent any time considering, they were the ones who demonstrated the greatest faith. And we talked about how that is also going to be true on the eve of the second advent. The other theme that we covered the second week was a sense of transformation. That this season is marked by profound transformation. That people who didn't get it right on the first try, they turned their hearts around and they surrendered to God's plan and they were transformed in the middle of it. And we talked about how God is still doing that same transforming work right now on the eve of the second advent. And then last week when Sean taught, he talked about the message of advent and how in the first Advent, the message was come and see. And now the message on the eve of the second advent before his second returning is go and tell. So continuing with that theme of identifying the themes of advent, there's one more I want us to look at today. And this theme is really prominent in a very real way in the first advent. As you're gonna see as we read through today, This theme is everywhere, and this theme should be a very real theme in our lives today. And that's why I want us to look at this. Because the thing that was true in the first advent, it needs to be even more true on the eve of the second advent before he returns, and that theme is obedience. As we look at the lives of God's people, On the eve of the first advent, when Jesus was born in a manger, everywhere everywhere we look, every person we see, they're walking in obedience to the scriptures. They're doing exactly what God commanded them to do. And that should be true on the eve of the second advent. 
When the world beholds God's people, they should not see a group of people who look more like the world than the people of the first advent. There should be a very marked difference in the way that we live because we are committed to knowing and obeying God's word. So that's the theme for today, obedience. Let's get into it. We're gonna start in Luke chapter two, verses 21 through 24. I'm just letting you know I'm not going to finish two today. We're only going to get to about verse 40. But my Christmas gift to you is that I'm not going to read one verse and then talk the whole time about things that I think and stories about my kids. I'm, I'm going to read a lot of scripture, okay? That's my Christmas present to you. We're going to read a lot of the Bible. So we're gonna start in Luke chapter two and then we're gonna go 21 through 24. So we're gonna pick up where Sean left off last week. 21 says, at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. And the name, excuse me, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what it is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Let's pause there. As we begin our study today, we're picking up in Luke's writing right around verse 21, and we're starting right after Jesus was born. Exactly eight days after he was born, we are told in verse 21 that in accordance with scripture, he was circumcised. Now where is that in scripture? That is found in Leviticus 12, three. The command that God gave Moses for the people of Israel is that exactly eight days after a male child is born, he is to be circumcised. That is a command. But the interesting thing about this command is that it predates the law of Moses. It actually goes back hundreds of years to a guy named Abraham. When God disinherited the nations at Babel, and then called one man out from the nations to make a nation for himself, he called this guy named Abraham. The first thing, one of the first things he did was make a covenant with this man Abraham, and he said the sign of this covenant is going to be circumcision. And every male of your family that is born eight days after they're born, I want you to circumcise them. Now you're sitting there saying like, you have said circumcise a lot on Christmas Eve. I did not <laughs> expect this. First time at Red Hills, huh? <laughs> this command goes so much deeper than just the simple act of cutting away the flesh. Paul elaborates on this in the New Testament, but the idea is that this outward symbol, it transmits, it broadcasts a much deeper message, and that message is this, that God's people are people of cutting away the flesh. And we're actually marked by it 
It's an outward thing that you can see because there is an inward work that God is constantly doing. See, this world has their way of doing things and God has his way of doing things. And in order to do things God's way and not your own way or the world's way, that requires a cutting away of your flesh, your fleshly desires, your selfishness, the way you think you want things run, the way the world tells you that things should be run. You want to follow God, there is a demand for the flesh of your selfishness to be cut away. That is the heart behind the message of circumcision. Now immediately following this message of cutting away the flesh and Mary and Joseph obeying God's word and doing this command, we see two more ceremonies that God's people are fulfilling. So the first ceremony, Exodus 13.2 is a command. It follows um, the events in Exodus that we would describe as the plagues. The final plague was that God was going to kill the firstborn of every child in Egypt. That was the one where Pharaoh said, all right, you can finally go. Well, following that event, God told Israel that moving forward, Every single firstborn male now belongs to me. If you're a firstborn and you're a male and you are born into the house of Israel, you belong to God. And there is a ceremony where you are brought before the temple and you are dedicated to the Lord. That is a command, Exodus 13, 2. The other ceremony we're looking at here was Leviticus 12, 1 through 8. It says that when a woman gave birth to a child, if it was a male child, there was a period of time that she would have to go through a purification ceremony. If it was a little girl, there was a different period of time that she was supposed to go through a purification ceremony. And at the end of the purification ceremony, she was to bring an offering to the Lord at the temple with the priest. The offering was a lamb, but if she was poor and couldn't afford a lamb, she could bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. So what Luke is telling us in these first couple verses is that there are three things happening where God's people are simply obeying the commands of the Lord. God said, circumcise your child, and the parents said, yes, we will do that. God said, dedicate your son to the Lord, and the people said, okay, we'll do that. And God said, I want you to purify yourself as holy after the birth of a child and bring, him before, bring yourself before the temple and make a sacrifice. And God's people are doing that. Now, the question I have is why is Luke giving us all this detail? Why is it important for us to know that God's people are obeying and fulfilling God's commands? Well, the first reason why it's important is so that you know, the reader, that Christ has fulfilled all of the law on your behalf. All of these ceremonial laws, he fulfilled in himself. And if you put your trust in him, then he is the righteous one that covers you. You don't have to go through and fulfill all these laws before God will be pleased with you. He is pleased with Christ, and if you put your faith in Christ, then he is pleased with you. 
So that's the first. The author wants you to see that Christ fulfilled all of the law. There's nothing that he overlooked or that his parents overlooked. From the start, he was born into a family of obedience. But the second thing that Luke wants us to see is how prominent the theme of obedience was during this first advent. God said, circumcise your child. The parents said, do it. Let's go. All right. God says, I want you to dedicate your son to the Lord. He belongs to me, not to you. I want you to remember that through this dedication ceremony. I want you to come and cleanse yourself. And Mary says, all right, I'll bring sacrifices. I will dedicate myself to the Lord. My son's dedicated. I'll purify myself. I'll do everything we need. And the question that Luke is hinting at here, if this is what the people of the first advent looked like, being completely familiar and submissive and obedient to God's word, what do the people of the second advent look like? You might ask yourself, okay, well, are you telling me that there is a level of commands that we have to obey and, 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 and there's a, a work involved in, in my salvation, is that what you're saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that all of the work, the law, that was required to be fulfilled has already been fulfilled on your behalf by Christ. The question now is what is your response to what you have been freely given? And you say, well, we're not under the law, there's no commands. The New Testament is filled with commands. And if the people on the eve of the first advent were marked by obedience, the people of the second advent, us, need to also be marked by that obedience. And if most of us are walking around not even familiar with what the things we're supposed to be obeying are, there's a problem. Now the New Testament is filled with commands, not commands that earn you anything, commands that are the only proper response to what he has done on your behalf. It is the only way to act in God's family. Now what are these commands? Well, they're everywhere, but I wanna show you just a few of them. Go to Colossians chapter three, verse one through 10. This is Paul's writing, and it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. That word seek, it is a verb that is a command. It's not a suggestion, it is a command. If you have been raised with Christ, what is your only natural proper response? To start seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. That means the things that you've been seeking down here on the earth, you need to stop seeking if you have been raised with Christ. But he doesn't stop there. He also gives us another command. Set your minds on the things that are above and not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What's he talking about? He's talking about the second coming, the second advent. 
This is is fascinating. Everywhere in the New Testament where there's commands that come forth, almost every time the writer also hints at the second advent, the return of Jesus. Because obedience marked the first advent and obedience needs to mark the second advent. Verse five, here's another command. Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. When's it coming? It's coming at his return. In these, you too once walked when you were alive in him, but now you put them away. What are we supposed to put away? What's the command? Put away anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Oh, he's covering everything, isn't he? He's he's not just talking about what you're watching or what came up while you were watching another show on Netflix because Hollywood likes injecting sexual impurity into wholesome shows. Everywhere you look, there's, there's perversion. He's not just talking about the stuff that's around you, flee from that, he's also talking about the stuff that's on the inside of you that comes out in subtle ways like your obscene jokes at work. Here's another one, stop lying to one another. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its old practices, put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of the creator. Let me give you another list of commands. I won't show you everywhere in the New Testament, but go over to Hebrews chapter 13. Verse one says, let brotherly love continue. Here's one, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Here's another command. Let the marriage be held in, excuse me, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life from the fruit, excuse me, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. We have second advent commands. And we have a responsibility to obey them. Now the beautiful thing about what Luke is about to do is he's not just gonna show us a family who's being obedient, he's gonna show us somebody from every different season of life so that no one's exempt. You can't sit in here and say, well, what you're talking about, that's for family stuff. You got kids, there's lots of things you need to obey, be obeying with those kids, right? Like, is your family following God? Lots of, but I'm a single person. Things are a little different for me. No, we're gonna cover you, right? I'm a young person. I've got plenty of time to think about that. No, you're included. I'm an old person. I've been doing this forever. There's nothing more that I need. I'm just ready to meet him. No, there's still work to be done. He's gonna cover old people too. He's gonna cover single people, married people, young people, old people, everybody. There rests on us an expectation to obey what we read, and this is our Achilles heel. That we can look on the outside like religious, obedient people because we know a lot, but we don't do anything with what we know. 
We're familiar with his word. We know what it sounds like when he speaks. We just don't obey him, which is dangerous. We'll get there in a second. Go to Luke 2, 25 through 33. It says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And so he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, to obey what the law told them to do, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. So while Jesus' parents are at the temple, they meet this guy named Simeon. Simeon is described as a righteous and a devout man patiently awaiting the arrival of the Messiah, the first advent. So now we don't just have a family being obedient. We've got this guy, Simeon, who is, his entire life is marked by obedience. And he has this promise from the Holy Spirit that he's not gonna die until he sees the Messiah. And because the Spirit told him one day, go up to the temple, and he, he obeyed. This is, it, it seems like such a small thing, right? Like, okay, go dedicate your child. All right, it's a whole thing we gotta do. Pack the bags, we gotta get the offering, we gotta bring them up. But the obedience that Simeon is demonstrating is simple. One day, the Holy Spirit said, hey, go to the temple. And he's like, all right, let's go to the temple. He goes to the temple, and it is on that day that God fulfills his promise to this man and says, you have seen the Christ. This is the Messiah. It's fascinating because what we see here on this first advent is a man who's being obedient, not in some big things that are found in the law, but in the subtle whisper of the Holy Spirit. The kind of whisper that tells you when you're sitting at lunch, hey, tell this waitress about me. The kind of whisper after you've had that argument in your home when the Holy Spirit tells you, husband, go say you're sorry. At that point, you have a choice. You can obey or you can disobey. And when you obey, there seems to be a reward tied to the obedience. Because once you obey, what happens? There's a reconciliation, you're blessed. What happened to Simeon when he obeyed? He was rewarded with meeting the Christ. Now this idea of obedience in the first advent, we have now met four people walking in obedience. It is a prominent theme on the first advent and I am arguing from scripture that it is a prominent theme of the second advent. 
And the reason why I'm arguing this is because this theme of obedience is not just connected to God told you to do it, so you have to do it. And then we respond with a sense of duty. Well, I, I have to uh, flee from immorality. I, I have to stop lying, uh, even though I keep, I want to, but uh, I have to stop. I just can't do this anymore. It's tied to something deeper than that. It's tied to your affections and your love for Christ. Let me show you what Jesus himself said about the commandments and obeying him on the eve of his second advent. Go over to John chapter 14. We're gonna look in verse 15. Now this is an interesting conversation because it's labeled here as Jesus promising the Holy Spirit. But in his conversation about sending the Holy Spirit and the helper, he's making some pretty bold statements about what he expects of his people before he returns a second time. We're gonna start in verse 15, it says this, and I'm gonna read it slow. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever in the spirit of truth whom the word cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells within you. He will be in you. I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments keeps them. He it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments keeps them. Verse 22, Judas, not the other one, Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answers, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me." That's pretty harsh, right? How do you know if you love God? If you truly love him, if you're truly his, you obey him. Because if you don't obey him, you don't actually love him. These things I've spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Not, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So you heard me say to you, I am going away, but I will come to you again. There, okay, so he's talking about obedience in a particular season, and that season is the season right before he returns. I'm going away, but I'm going to come back. 
And if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father and the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will, number, I will no longer talk much with you for the rule of this world is coming and he has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Obedience is a cornerstone theme of the second advent because it reveals what you really, truly love. You cannot proclaim from the mountaintops, I love Jesus, I'm on team Jesus, I go to church, I read my Bible, and disobey everything that it commands you to do. There is no category for that in the Bible. The only category that exists for a person who proclaims that they love Jesus but they disobey his word is someone who doesn't know Jesus. That person is deceived and they're in the same category as the non-believer. This is why this is so important and this is why I want you to hear this on Christmas Eve because it's so easy to be caught up in the feelings and the emotions and the church and all the people and the songs and only ever really consider what this thing is telling you to do when we're all together and hearing me talk about it. But the Bible is clear on the, second, on the eve of this second advent, there is so much more to all of this than just church on Sunday. What he is demanding of us is complete surrender. It goes back to that idea of circumcision, cutting away the flesh, repenting, turning from your ways, from the fleshly ways, from the ways of this world, and turning towards God and obeying him. Not just reading it and thinking, well, that's pretty good, that's interesting. I should probably come back and consider that once this business deal is closed and my underhanded ways have gotten me what I need out of it. after I've squeezed everything I can out of this relationship because this person has something that I want and I'm gonna get close to them so I can get it and then when I've gotten what I want, I can back away and then I can consider and start obeying. That's not how any of this works. If you live like that, you, are com you, you biblically are placed in a completely different category and it is not a follower of Jesus one who cuts away the flesh, one who surrenders, one who loves him. If you love him, you will obey him. Let's continue. Verse 34. I am aware that the screens keep going out. It is as annoying to me as it is to you. Uh, we're trying to fix it. I thought the problem might have been connectors. We bought new ones. Clearly that's not the issue. So just bear with us. But for those of you that are old enough to remember before there was technology, this is not a problem for you, right? You brought your Bible, you're good, right? So maybe in the new year, we'll just stop using screens. I'm just, I'm just kidding, we, we'll keep using it. We'll get to the bottom of it. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel 
and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Mary, you're going to suffer. So that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Now, I'm just going to put a pin in that, and we'll come back to that at the end. But I want to look at this one more example of an obedient person. There was this prophetess named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, but she's now a widow until the age of 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew up, became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. So in 34 through 40, we meet another person marked by obedience. This woman's name is Anna the prophetess. Love Anna, she's awesome. She's an old lady who's a widow and she spends all of her time in the temple doing what? Worshiping and fasting and praying. She's killer, love Anna, she's awesome. She's being obedient to God's word, doing exactly what God wants her to do in this season of life, not sitting around wringing your hands or being a gossip or getting in the middle of a bunch of stuff. She doesn't need to be in the middle. The only thing she's interested in is God. She spends her time in the temple worshiping and fasting and praying. And because she's spending all her time at the temple, she happens to be at the temple at the very time that the Messiah is presented for dedication. What is Luke trying to show us? What is, the, what is the main message Luke wants you to see? Simeon obeyed the Lord and he was rewarded. Anna obeyed the Lord and she was rewarded. Now this is the other secret theme of Advent. I, I started today talking about obedience being a cornerstone of Advent, but there's another theme that comes about with obedience. With obedience comes reward. That is the other theme of Advent. And Luke is trying to get us to see what happens when you walk in obedience. It's not this, well, I got to. No, you get to. And when you do, you're rewarded for it. Your family is blessed, your business is blessed. Everywhere you look, God is pouring out his blessings on you. Now this isn't a promise that everything is gonna go the way you want it to go, but it is a promise that the way that things need to go, they always will go that way. There are things that God will do when he blesses you with something you wouldn't have picked for yourself, but on the other side of you, you're like, yeah, sure, I'm glad he did that. Wouldn't have picked that for me. Wouldn't have called that a blessing on the surface, but now that I got it, I can't think of another word for it. This is what happens when you obey. When you obey, you are rewarded. And you say, Marshall, I don't know, you're talking like a prosperity preacher. We're gonna take an offering in a minute? Like, you, you sound like, 
the kind of preachers I don't like listening to. Well, let me show you from scripture what I'm talking about. I'm not, and just, just so you know, like, I'm not talking about money. Right? This isn't financial rewards. Like if you do what you're supposed to do, then you're gonna be financially blessed. Like that's not in scripture. But what is in scripture is that God rewards his faithful who are obedient. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Revelation 22, 12. This is Jesus speaking through John. He says, behold, I am coming soon and I am bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Let's go to 2 Timothy 4, 8. It says, henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness with the Lord, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, but not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I'll give you one more, 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 14. Each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. What day? The second coming day, the return of Jesus day, when he shows up because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. All right, now let's zoom out. Let's zoom out and consider what Luke is showing us about the first advent. He's showing us that people of all ages, young, old, married, single, widowed, all of them, their lives are marked by obedience. What is the present theme of the first advent? What are God's people doing on the eve of the first advent? They're obeying the word of God. And they're being rewarded for it. Now, what does that translate from Luke to us? The second advent also needs to be marked by obedience and reward. That the things that were true in the first advent are also true in the second advent. And the thing that is true is that God's word teaches something very clear. Christ is coming back. That's what this whole season is about. It's a celebration about the first time he showed up and how silly it was to watch everyone who were caught unaware, and this other category of people who were just obediently following God's word, and how that will look so similar to the world we live in today. If the first people were marked by obedience and reward, and this is what's coming, the question that Luke is asking through the Holy Spirit today through this scripture is simple. Are you walking in obedience. Now, I, I want that to settle correctly because it's Christmas Eve. There's some of you in here, you came as a favor to your family. You don't wanna be here. Some of you in here, you're, you're here every single week. Some of you in here, you're here maybe twice, maybe, maybe we see like once a quarter, maybe. 
And as soon as I start saying this, the first thing that starts rolling through your mind is, well, okay, well, the, if I'm gonna get obedient, the first thing I need to do is start going to church. That's what's most important. Let me just tell you, that's not what's most important. That's not what I'm talking about. When I say that the eve of his second advent, the atmosphere in the air is that God's people are obedient. I'm not talking about people making sure that they show up to church every single week. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about and what was marked in the lives of these people is this deep inner sense of complete surrender. This sense that when you look at the world, it doesn't really have anything to offer anymore. Because you have come to a place where you have sold everything to buy that treasure in the field. That deep down, the things of this world, they don't have a hold on you the way they used to. And if they do today, there is a longing in your heart to get out of that loop. You're tired of living in sorrow and sadness and anxiety. You're tired of living this life that only, the, everything you do about life revolves around making other people happy. The way you dress, the way you talk, what you drive, where you live, all of it revolves around making somebody who barely knows you exist happy. I'm talking about surrendering to this human ability, this human sense that we have that, that makes us want to constantly cheat the system or feel like we are above the system or the laws and the rules apply to everybody else but not us. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a people of God who are so captured with this word that the only thing they want to do with their time and their talent and their resources is obey it. They don't want to just spend all their time sitting around talking about it and, well, what do you think this means, brother? And can we find another book that tells us what this word might mean? No, they want to start lacing up their boots, getting out, and obeying it. I'm even talking about that sense we have as humans to demand the obedience on other people but excuse ourselves from obey, obeying the word ourselves. This is what I'm talking about. It is not about church attendance. It is not about the shallow, superficial things that we as Christians make it. It is about a deep surrender. Who do you belong to? Who are you serving? Who is sitting on the throne of your heart? Is it you? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids? Do your kids run your home? Is it your boss? Is it money? Is it the government? Is it some celebrity? Who is running your life? Because today is the day, if you want to get serious about having the right posture before Jesus returns, today is the day to start surrendering that stuff. Because when we talk about obedience, I'm not talking about shallow, superficial examples of it. I'm talking about the deep inner core that then manifests as those things that we start using as shallow. You don't show up to church because you have to and it's the thing you've got to do. You show up to church because there is no other place you'd rather be than surrounded by God's people because we're practicing for eternity. That's why we sing when we get together, because we're practicing for eternity. That's why we hear God's word taught when we get together on Sundays, because for eternity we're going to be hearing God's glorious word spoken over us. But there's one thing that there won't be in eternity, and that is invitations to salvation. 
No more chances. And so as we look at this text today, I want to draw your attention back to verse 34 and 35. We don't have to go back there um, on the screens. I just want to read it out to you because it is part of Simeon's prophecy about this man named Jesus. What is his life going to be marked by that is going to profoundly impact the people who are going to be living just before his second coming? He says that this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many. He's going to be the reason why many of you fall and many of you rise. He is the reason and the sign for those who are opposed. He is the symbol of everything opposite of this world. The kingdoms of this world stand against the the risen Christ who sits on the throne in heaven. He is opposed against all of that. But not just that, we're told that a sword was gonna pierce Mary's soul, but the sword is also gonna pierce our souls too because the thoughts from many hearts are gonna be revealed from this guy. Luke is trying to hear, get us to hear through Simeon's voice this very important message. You can't avoid or outrun his return. He is coming back to judge the nations. And if you have not surrendered to him, you will be counted among those who will be judged. Hebrews describes the Word of God as living and active, but John tells us that Jesus is the Word of God. And so as we behold this child that Simeon is talking about, we're captured by the sense that Jesus is living and active and dividing soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If I have to sum up what I'm trying to say in one way, it's this. Joel 2.31 describes the day of the Lord in two ways. Now the day of the Lord is the second coming. We've talked about everything surrounding the first advent and what it should look like in God's people. Now we're talking about what it should look like now on the eve of the second advent. And Joel says that that day when he returns, it's gonna be marked in two ways. It is going to be the great and the terrible day of the Lord. And he says it that way because for some, it will be the greatest day of your entire life. But for others, it will be the most terrible, dreaded day of your entire life. See, if you are marked by the circumcision of the heart and surrender, when that sky splits and he appears, it will be the greatest day ever because he is coming to reward you for your obedience. But if you have lived your life marked by disobedience and rebellion and doing things your own way and making sure that no matter what happens, you're always coming out ahead as you climb on top of the shoulders and faces of everybody below you, that day, will be the worst day of your life because the king is coming to judge. So, as we close today, this is what I'm asking. And I'm asking this because Luke is asking this. If the first season of Advent was marked by obedience, 
Is the second season marked by that same obedience in your life? And if it's not, what are you going to do about it? Because this isn't the kind of thing where it doesn't matter or it's unimportant or you can come back to it later. This isn't like the trivial issues in our life that if you just push off a couple days, you can come back and revisit it. You can schedule it and pencil it in the calendar and deal with it in two weeks from now. No, this is the kind of thing that you must deal with today because none of you in this room are promised tomorrow. He might split the sky and return tomorrow or he might call you home tomorrow and home might not be heaven. So as we gather on this Christmas Eve and consider what it means to be among God's people at this season, the question we have to ask ourselves, is this going to be a snapshot of my eternity? Is this what forever is gonna be like? Or is it gonna be way hotter with more screaming and more suffering? because if you live a life of disobedience now, your life is testifying before, excuse me, your life is testifying before the day he arrives on judgment day. All of your works right now, your disobedience, it will testify against you on judgment day. Today is the day to make a decision. Are you going to walk in obedience to the scriptures? Or are you going to continue to either ignore them or treat them like some other history book that you read when you're interested or you just treat it like some kind of college degree where you know so much about it but it never really pierces you. And I say that with as much love as possible because there was an entire country of Israelites who were called by God to obey his word and ignored him and none of them are in heaven right now. And I would hate to shepherd a church filled with people that I won't see in eternity because we thought it was good and cool and fun to gather together and get caught up in the emotion of a weekly service and hear a decent sermon and some good music and never truly obey what we heard. That is the message of Christmas today. On Christmas Eve, I want you considering Am I really surrendered and am I obeying God's word? Amen? All right, let's pray. Hello again, it's Pastor Marshall and I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this message. If you wanna hear other messages or maybe find out more about our church, you can visit redhillschurch.com. From there, you'll find links to our social media pages, message archive, and ways you can support the ministry work. Thanks again for spending time with us and God bless.